Hey everyone, I'm Kendall Fisher, host of the NetSuite podcast, but on this episode, I've actually handed the mic over to our content marketing manager, Ian McHugh. He's chatting with Dave DeMond, the CFO of March of Dimes, a nonprofit organization that leads the fight for the health of all moms and babies, supporting research, leading programs, and providing education and advocacy for all families before and after birth. Dave begins by diving into his own career journey and what made him take the leap from a big four accounting firm into the nonprofit sector. He then discusses some of the big challenges nonprofits face, especially in transforming and reinventing their mission to meet the needs of the world today, as well as the similarities with for-profit businesses like visibility into data, leveraging technology, creating greater automation where possible, and increasing the efficiency of everyday tasks. For example, when Dave joined March of Dimes in 2018, the organization was running on a 30-year-old system with 40 people reconciling bank accounts amid plenty of other manual work. The organization decided to implement NetSuite with a few goals in mind to put a greater focus on budgeting, forecasting, and analytics, and to reduce staff. Dave says NetSuite not only helped March of Dimes meet those goals, but also gain visibility into profitability, especially around events, provide faster and easier reconciliations, as well as cleaner financial statements, and to speed up the financial close. Finally, they conclude by discussing the role of the modern CFO being more focused on analytics than ever and Dave's top advice for financial leaders today. Stay tuned. All of that is coming up next. You're listening to the NetSuite podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite, why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. We'll also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Thanks for joining us today. Good. I'm, it's good. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. All right. So as we mentioned in the introduction, March of Dimes was started by, by FDR, actually, to combat polio. And obviously, the mission of the organization has shifted a little bit since then. So to start off, could you just tell us a little bit about um, what you do today and, and how that mission has maybe kind of developed and evolved over time? Yeah, so it was started by FDR, um, really, to combat polio. Um, and that's something we've been polio free since 1979. So we led the clinical trial and the money do all the research to really solve that. And then since then, we went into birth defects and preterm birth. And then in, in, 19, in about 2005, we shifted that focus mostly to, to preterm birth and focused on moms and babies and the health of moms and babies going forward. So that's kind of where we're at today. In 2018, we really made the shift on our 80th birthday to focusing on moms and babies, the research, the advocacy, the education that goes along with that, and how that would take us really into the next century. And why that change, you know, really on your, the, your 100th anniversary? Yeah, yeah there really was a need because it became a huge problem. It was the biggest killer of, of, of infants. And also in this country, it's, it's one of the most dangerous places on earth to, give a, for, to have a baby in a developed country. So the United States is a developed country. Other than non-developed countries, it's the most uh, dangerous place to have, give birth is in the U.S. So it was really part of the reason. And 
why is that? Why is there, you know, such a high, you know, percentage of the, these issues among de- developed countries in the U.S.? Yeah, so really it is, um, a lot of it has to do with our healthcare system. So if you look at other countries like the U.K., it's not as big of a problem, although uh, in terms of um, preterm birth, although there's still a very large factor in, in, uh, in part of, you know, infant, ca- infant deaths, right? Um, but a lot of it is our healthcare system. A lot of it is prejudice that there's areas of the country they don't have good healthcare. Moms can't good get good medical service for pre for prenatal care, and so that's really led to a, a, a big problem in this country. But overall, it's a big problem just in, in you know worldwide as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and could you get into maybe a little bit more detail about some of the work March of Dimes does to support some of the those goals that you talked about around preterm birth and and you know, providing education around that. How does March of Dimes actually do that? How do you help some of these parents and, and children who are facing these issues? Yeah, so it's really all about the, the moms and the babies. And so we do everything from education, educate the moms before and after they give birth so they can have, a, if they try to have a good outcome, and if they don't have a good outcome, then we are there to support them in the NICU units. So we have support units in the NICU units for families to get them through that journey. We do our research, so we're trying to research the areas so that we can see at-risk, mom, at-risk moms and get them you know, to understand that they are at risk and what they can do, and also research to try to prevent any type of preterm birth. And then the advocacy is, you know, we're based in Washington, D.C., um, and, and state and local governments, so we're on that, you know, we're trying to advocate for moms and babies in terms of any type of time off or any types of um, policies that would affect moms in a positive way. So that's kind of in a nutshell what we do. Yeah, all, all great stuff and, and definitely makes sense how that those, those types of programs can, can make a difference. So jumping into kind of your personal background, Dave, I'm, I'm really curious about how you ended up in this sector. I know that you started at one of the really big accounting firms out there and then a while back moved into the nonprofit sector, but how did that come to be? How did you kind of make that transition and why did you make that transition? Yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's funny how you just fall into things. So when I was with the big accounting firm, um, our clients were nonprofits in government. And it just, and then when we did the nonprofits, it really was something that interests me, felt good about it, felt good about um, working on a mission um, and just kind of just gravitated towards that. So when it came cha- came to a time to went to graduate school, and it came time to apply for jobs. I happened to apply um, at the American Red Cross in D.C. and never thought I would be there over 20 years, but it was I was. And I think there's a lot of sayings within nonprofits, and especially even the Red Cross. It's like you know you go there for the work, but you stay there for the mission. And I think um, it's no different within the March of Dimes. People have come and they just stay a long time because they get so inter with the mission and I think that's where where my kind of head is is that you know it's a good thing to get up in the morning and think about how to solve for the mission so that's kind of I got involved in it absolutely and and had you really thought about nonprofit before you started working with them when you were at that accounting firm or was that kind of what drove your whole awareness and then interest in so that's in really what there? drove my awareness yeah I think I think kids today or people today in college they might have a they probably think about it maybe more than I did you know 30 years ago but I uh, at that point it was just there's a lot of nonprofits in government in the Washington DC sector so that's what I was assigned to and it just kind of gravitated towards there and gravitated toward that and one thing led to another. Yeah, yeah, but that's awesome and definitely understand why like you said working for a mission driven organization is something that that you know helps you get up in the morning and and go to work and and feel like you you're doing something 
helpful and, and important. Um, so really curious about kind of being the CFO of a nonprofit. What do, what do you think are some of the major differences between being a CFO or just in some sort of financial role at a for-profit company versus, versus a nonprofit? Anything come to mind there? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is, is uh, I mean, the similarities are, people might not think about it is but you want to you want you're looking at the stewardship of the money right so if you're giving if somebody gives you twenty five dollars five dollars a hundred dollars a hundred thousand dollars you want to be good stewards of it so we're answering to those people rather than maybe um people who you know are shareholders right so it's a it's a it's a it's a different it's different there but you want to make sure that you're using the money in the most judicious way possible you're looking at obviously the productivity you're looking at the ways the, the most good it can do so all of that is really some is similar and a little bit different i think one of the other differences is that with nonprofits um you're out to do a mission right so you might not raise all the money to do a certain mission, right? If you want, if you're saying, "Oh, I'm going to go help moms in you know uh, a sector where there's not healthcare in Washington D.C.," you might not have the money to really to do all everything you want to do, but you're going to do it, and you might be losing. You might not have raised all the money you 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 expected to, but you're still going to get the mission out. And non, a for-profit wouldn't really do that. Would be, well, we're not really making money. We're not really supporting this operation, and we would shut it down. In a nonprofit, you're not going to shut that down because you're really supporting the mission. Yeah, that 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 all makes a lot of sense. And the the point about stewardship is is really interesting to me. It's it's almost like the people giving you donations are your shareholders, or just the public at large that wants to know what you're doing with your money is is your shareholders. You think that's a fair? Comparison? I think that yeah, I think it's fair because that's one of the things that I always preach to everybody within the organization is how would you you know how would this the share you know, how would our shareholders or our stewards of the money. Uh, are the donors donation donors of the money uh, react to this right if somebody donated some of their money how would they react to this so that's one of the things I always push for yeah and what do you think are, are some of the key challenges of, of being the CFO or, or just being in a high kind of financial position at a nonprofit any specific challenges that maybe are or aren't as relevant to a typical for-profit company I think there's a couple things I think one is is that you kind of you do have to make sure you have to reinvent yourself or your mission to make sure that it's current and you're tackling the problems of today, right? So, um, you know, we had polio and we've pivoted, and I think that's a, that's a big piece of it. I think the other piece of it, you know, the challenge that I always have as a, as a CFO is um, just fundraising, right? We, you know, we're not sure exactly how much money is going to come in for the year. We make a prediction, just like any other company it does, but if there's the, something happens in the economy or something happens with tax law, people might back off on giving, and that's something you know, that we have to deal with. Do you think it's less predictable how, much, how many donations or the value of donations you're going to get than it is for projecting revenue, or do you think it's kind of a similar challenge in, in either scenario? I think it's a similar challenge in, 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 in every scenario, yeah. I mean, this, in this case, it's a little bit different because um, you know it's, it's a different type of person. They have to want they want to see the good that their their money is doing, rather than they're getting some you know benefit personally from from it from maybe um, you know some gratific personal gratification. Right? They want their personal gratification to be that I'm giving and I see the donation. So it's a little bit different in that regard. So we talked about the differences right between managing financials at a nonprofit versus a for profit, but 
at the same time, it's kind of a business, right, in the, in the way you run it and the way you try to make decisions. So do you think that there are a lot of similarities between being the CFO at March for Dimes and being the CFO at NetSuite or, or Oracle? Are you looking at a lot of the same things, trying to make decisions based on the same things, just with, with slightly different goals in mind? But do you think the same practices kind of apply? I think so. I mean, I think that, like I said, your answer we're answering to the people who are giving money, we're trying to make the best stewards of the money. We're trying to we're trying to make it the best possible um, outcomes from what we do with the money. Um, we are trying to be as productive as possible with what we get, and you know, make sure that people understand that. So it's you know, it's it's, it's and so it's different, but not not as much as you would necessarily think. And so you you joined March of Dimes, Dave, back in in 2018. When you came to the company, what were some of the, the biggest challenges they faced around financial processes or maybe issues with their existing financial systems at that time? Yeah, so that, that was a really a big one. So um, when I got there in 2018, they had a 30-year-old system that they was on the AS400, which is um, how they operated. And they had a, over, 40, over 40 finance people in the, in the field who were basically reconciling bank accounts and um, and really just have and, and and just basically operating and just operating as a little, kind of a local controller and it really didn't need to be that way. So one of the reasons we, one of the first things that I did was get NetSuite because I couldn't bring in new finance people and not and have a thirty year old financial system and I didn't that I didn't know myself. And it really wasn't going to meet the needs of the company going forward. So that's a lot of what we did right off the bat. Uh, and then we consolidated bank accounts. We made that we really reduced a lot of the financial staff um, to the point where we could where we could just focus more on analytics, um, budgeting, forecasting, really FP&A type of work rather than, like I said, bank bank reconciliations and closing the books every month, which is what they were focused on. So. Really transform the organization. Really transform the financial organization, and really with the help of NetSuite. Yeah, and AS four hundred is definitely one of the systems <laughs> you hear a lot about when you think about legacy software. And it's surprising, you know, how many companies still do use these very, very old systems. But what what do you think were some specific issues related to using that old of a system? Were there things they either couldn't do or had to do manually or were very hard to do with that type of technology? Yeah. So everything, so it didn't talk to anything. So there was, there was no way to interface with um, bank accounts. There was no way to interface with our HR system. There's no way to interface. So everything was done um, with, you know, payroll. Everything was done manually. Um, there wasn't any good way to query anything very well. Uh, so when you're th- talking about a 30-year-old system, it really was uh, like a green screen, and you could really you had to type in the whole GL and uh, that you were looking for, and it was really very very manual, and the reports uh, were very manual, and the way that you um, how you closed the books was very manual. So again, there was more people doing that type of manual work that wasn't really. I would say adding a lot of value to the company of helping them solve business problems. And why NetSuite? Was it something you had experience with before? Was it something you just knew about? Why were you? Why was that kind of where you went when you said we need a new system? Yeah, we looked at a couple things. I think I came from um, another Oracle product, Hyperion, from a big from a bigger organization, and really liked that. And so um, when when we looked at something for the, uh, the, 
March of Dimes, which is a little bit smaller, NetSuite kind of fit in really well with what we were trying to do. And so, and ironically, um, they had been looking at a new system. They just didn't feel like they had the wherewithal to bring it up, and they narrowed it down to NetSuite as well. So it was really, they had that on, the IT group had that on the mind from the finance group. They had looked at it, they had tested it, and then finance never moved forward with it. Uh, when I got there, it was something that was like priority one for me was to get that up and running. And, and we did so probably in a, probably a lot, most, mostly quick, most, probably quicker than most companies do it. We got it up and running in about nine months. Um, and that, and it wasn't perfect then, but we were able to get the GL, GL up and running and then slowly, you know, slowly or quickly starting to add to it to where it is today. Jim, thanks for coming. Are you kidding? I never miss one of your dinner parties. How's the new job? We're growing fast, and I stopped working weekends, thanks to how much smoother everything runs on NetSuite by Oracle. Fantastic. Uh, we're still using QuickBooks. Why haven't you upgraded to NetSuite? Uh, we're making QuickBooks work, sort of. Shh, watch your language. The kids are right there. Sorry, Amy. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. And 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control since upgrading from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Yeah, sounds like it's time for me to switch to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. For the new year, NetSuite has a new financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash superbowl. Head to netsuite.com slash superbowl for this special one-of-a-kind financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses. netsuite.com slash superbowl. So Dave, you mentioned that NetSuite, you know, was was one of the first things you did to implement that system. But once you had that system in place, what were some of the the processes you were able to change? Um, the you know, kind of broader scale changes to the finance department that you could support with NetSuite. What what did some of that look like once you had NetSuite in place to, like you said, make it a more analytical organization versus one that's just trying to reconcile transactions and do the the basic stuff. Yeah, so we were able to start building out, you know, modules, right? So we so we could look at profitability and, and things like that. We're still in the process of doing that. We I think we have a, you know, we have a kind of a NetSuite plan that we every year that we go through that says, okay, well, what do we want to add on this year? You know, is it is it we you know we want to speed up our close or we want to look at purchasing or or something like that. So originally it was more it was profitability, and we're still looking at that as we as today. Uh, we started. Um, putting, you know, adding on things like pay, obviously payroll and bank reconciliation, so we actually we could do much quicker with fewer staff. We cleaned up our balance sheet. We could look at, you know, as we did that. So that process was in place, and we really sped up the closing process because of all of those factors. So that was really the kind of the initial, and then part of the reason why we're here at uh, Sweet World is to kind of look to the future, like where do we want to go. From there, like I said, we are looking. We're looking at everything from purchasing to closing the books to potentially payroll. All of the, you know, a, 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 you know, a continuous ERP system, and how can we feed that? Because as you know, a lot of a lot, most a lot of companies spend a lot of money on all of those, and to have one really suite of that, like NetSuite, 
uh, is really helpful. So we haven't gone the whole way to the ERP, but we're always looking at the solutions and, you know, we're trying to get there. And as much as NetSuite obviously helped you do those things, these were things that you had to know to do in terms of improving the financial hygiene, if you will, of, of the company and, and being a little bit more of a finance, more modern finance organization. Was that just, did that just kind of come from your experience in financials, being a CFO um, before this? Was that how you knew this is what we need to do once we get the new system to kind of get us on the up and up? Yeah, I mean, we did similar things when I was at the American Red Cross. So we, we I guess that we were, we were at Hyperion, but we actually wanted to stay current. And one of my philosophies is a CFO. And one of the things that I talked to a lot of CFOs, not only in nonprofits, but for profits, is to, is to make my staff interchangeable, that they can, they're always up to speed and the company is up to speed on what, what's, what's out there, right? So that we're not lagging behind. And so that if we looked at our company versus any other company, um, that, you know, we're right, we're right in the thick of it. And are you comparing yourself to not only other nonprofits, but just any organization out there? I think any, or, or any organization out there. Like we, um, I go to conferences um, that have all, just CFOs in general. And we, and we always talk about like what we're doing in terms of AI, or we're talking about, you know, we might be talking about our analytics, or we're talking about what kind of reports that we generate. Or, and so it's for-profit or non-profit, it's always trying to stay current and get my staff to get that education so that they stay current. So if they ever left, that they can go on and do, you know, work anywhere. And I think you alluded to this a little bit, Dave, but could you Take us in a little bit more detail about maybe how your your use of NetSuite has grown since you adopted it. I know it's only been a couple of years, but what were some products you started with and then how have you maybe built a little bit from there since then? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing with the big thing with uh, NetSuite was just getting all the integrations, like I said earlier, and how those how that could really speed up our clothes, how we could uh, be less manual. So those were the biggest things that we worked on right away. And like I said, we're as we go forward, it's really making that whole ERP shift, right? So how are, how can we how can we add everything from you know from HR to purchasing to everything else we can? And that's why, like I said, that's why we're here, is to really look at all the solutions that are out there and really get us more focused on time that we have to do analytics, right, and help drive good business decisions and do business case analysis rather than kind of do just the nuts and bolts of the accounting. Um, which you know we hopefully fewer staff few and fewer staff can do that i think most people like to do more of the stuff that things change every year rather than the same we're doing every year every year day in and day out yeah definitely i think uh, most people would rather be trying to look at interesting reports or pull those reports than just entering numbers into a computer right it's a little more engaging um and and different like you said do you think there's there's ways that netsuite has helped you directly reduce costs or maybe redirect some more of your resources toward actually advancing your mission with some of these efficiencies that you've mentioned i think so i mean it gives us more insight into um what so we look at you know events that we may do may have and how effective they are and we do profitability on those believe it or not and so it helps us drive decisions there it helps us look at vendors as well and SWE has a good uh, good functionality in terms of looking at vendors and also diverse vendors um, and ESG so we look at those and we and we try to push that along um, so we've saved some money in that uh, we've you know we we implemented concur along with NetSuite, so we can we have a lot more visibility into our travel, and so it's those type of tools that really help us become, like I said, stay current on what other 
big companies are using and how they can drive their cost down. So you mentioned analyzing the, the profitability of events. What what are some of those events where you might be trying to figure out the, the profitability of them just to give us some, some yeah, context? Yeah, so we have events every, we have, a, the biggest thing is that we started the walk. So, you know, there's a lot of walks out there and runs right now, but it really, since our organization is over 80 years old, we started and we were called the March, you know, March of Dimes. We really started this March for Babies in the 70s. And it was something that we tried to do over the whole country. And it's really got, became saturated. So we, we pared it down to larger areas of the country where we could be more profitable because it is expensive to run those events. So it's where can you run them that you're gonna get, you're gonna get a good, um, make it a good event, not only just in terms of raising money, right, but make it an event for the people who have been impacted by preterm birth or, or um, have kids in the NICU unit or anything like that, they can come out and they can talk about what has happened. So really make it an event that they can really latch on to and then walk for them. And so that's what we're trying to do, but doing it in bigger areas and looking at the profitability of those. We also do um, what we call, the one, one big event, which is kind of nice, is called Signature Chefs. So we bring in chefs that donate their time, and they'll make dinner, and you go down the stations, and you try their food. And then again, we'll talk about the mission, and we'll talk about have a mission moment with families, and they'll connect, and those are also good things. We do one on Capitol Hill um, that's really good, uh, where we bring in congressmen and senators, and a lot of times they're the cooks. So it's, we get a lot of turnout for that one. It's a, so some of those things are really good events. And so we, we, we talk about like how much it costs to do and how much money we raise. And then obviously there's all, what we do with that money from uh, where it goes to is obviously a big important, is an important function as well. Yeah, yeah, really important stuff when you know, you're dealing with money that, that's directly impacting people's lives, right? It's not just uh, a number on the, the earnings report. So Right, that's right. Um, shifting gears a, a little bit here, could you talk at all about what kind of impact the pandemic had on March of Dimes? Did it change how you reach the people that you're trying to reach, the information you provide, or any of the events or initiatives that you kind of do? Yeah, so the big thing was events. I mean, so a lot of the nonprofits that do uh, events really had to pivot, and we pivoted quickly and made them virtual. And while the turnout wasn't as as great as we thought, we they were still we still raised you know twenty million dollars doing virtual events. It's pretty impressive in some of these things, um, or more, right? And we uh, we also had to do you know some all, a lot of the, what the mission products that we have we had to do virtual rather than potentially going out in the community and seeing people in person or convening people together we really had to get people together via zoom or have you know that way to educate so it was really different like every, i think every company had to figure out and and really pivot quickly in order to do that but nonprofits especially i think one of the good things that happened and i think it was kind of industry wide was um, that the mail that we sent to people to give, that giving went up. I think um, their altruistic spirit uh, saw, you know, came out because of the because of COVID, and they gave more to nonprofits, realizing we were going to get it at potentially events. So while the events went down, we we did see a bump up in uh, you know uh, direct response, as we call it. Yeah, that's great. And how were how was March of Dimes and your team able to pull that off, you know, going virtual and, and kind of rethinking how you do all these things that you've been doing a certain way for, for a long yeah, time? How yeah, were they able we to th- do well, that quickly? We, yeah, we did it. We thought about it quickly. Um, it really became our priority. Um, so every, it was kind of all hands on deck. It was kind of, we were going fast and furious to really pull that off quickly. 
And then the finance group was too. I think you know one of the things um, we did at the pand for the pandemic was that really, and I think it's talk to talk about NetSuite a little bit is that it helped us figure out you know on a daily basis what was coming in and what was going out. We really had to we really had to focus on cash flow daily. Um, and so we looked at our receivables, we looked at our payables, we tried to sync them up. You know, in some cases, um, we may have, you know, we pushed some things out a little bit. I think every company did that. Um, we really stayed, we don't, at the end of the day, we really did stay current with our payables, which was good. Um, but it was really some, some really heavy reports that we had and some, a lot of meetings just to get there. Um, but at the end of the day, it really did work out. We, uh, we ended up breaking even last year, which is good for, a not, you know, for any company. Let alone a nonprofit. Um, so, but it was a lot of hard work in terms of, like I said, kind of re generating reports from a, on a daily basis versus maybe a weekly or monthly basis. Yeah, I think if there was one theme of finance for 2020 it was cash flow. You know, yeah. what everyone was worried about, what everyone was talking about, was was that need for kind of the the visibility into cash flow up to the day. You know, these daily reports was that driven by the fact that you didn't know what what fundraising was going to look like when this all started to to play out. Yeah, I mean, the predictability was way down because we typically have a calendar of events and we can predict uh, what those events bring in. And, and we also have money that's going out for our mission. So we had to really push those in the same direction and get those in sync. And that's really what we were focused on in our finance meeting, knowing that we had these obligations um, in terms of mission, in terms of payroll, and you know, to get that money, to what was going to come out, and making sure that we had the money coming in, doing without getting having to get a loan, doing it without you know, um, really at the cost of our payable. So it was really something that we focused on, really, really, really at length last year. But it sounds like you were kind of pleasantly surprised in terms of how fundraising turned out, and like you said, people were feeling maybe more altruistic. Was it pleasantly surprising? Were you able to kind of get? similar fundraising as you did in the past? It was it was down. I think it wasn't down as much as other nonprofits have seen it. Um, I think we had a, we had focused on, like I said, virtual events. Then we focused on December and having a good December, uh, which we did have. So all of those things kind of ca kind of came into place. But we did, you know, we did do some we did do some cost cutting as painful as that can be. We do, you know, as I think every company did and tried to I mean, obviously, there was no travel, but there's other things we save money on, but we still did deliver the mission as much as we ever have. So, you know, it was it was good in that respect, but it was, you know, it was a difficult year to try to, to manage all through that. Yeah, absolutely. A, a challenging year in, in a lot of different ways, I think, for everyone. So changing gears again a little bit out of the kind of pandemic conversation, just want to dig in a little bit into what it's like being a CFO and, you know, maybe some advice you have for, for other, other CFOs out there. But to start out, as a CFO, what do you think are some of the achievements that you're most proud of since you joined March of Dimes back in 2018? Yeah, so th I think there's, I mean, obviously we talked about it, getting a new financial system up and getting all the add-ons to it to really make our financial and our, uh, you know, and reporting and acumen and um, analysis current. I think that's a big one. I think just, it really helped us manage our business better and make good decisions. So since I got there, in 2018, we have have broken broken even every year. And prior to that, I think the 10 years before that was only maybe once or twice we had broken even. And we also had the other thing that we helped do was um, increase our cash reserves. So our cash reserves had had come down uh, from basically the time of 2008 and the and the uh, recession 
till almost the time that you know I got there and a new president got there, and then we made it a focus to to look at. Um, you know the way that we were doing things, making sure that our financials kind of uh, and our our financials kind of you know jive with our mission and getting everything in sync. And from 2000, really 2017, all the way up until today, we are still at, we are we're still at break even, and we're still putting you know cash reserves back into the bank uh, for anything like a pandemic, right? And as well as still meeting meeting our mission and doing better, you know, meeting more, uh, helping more folks than we ever have. Yeah, I think cash cash reserves were another big topic, and yeah, like you said, something like a pandemic is exactly why you you have that money and and need to have it. But that that's all great stuff and and certainly impressive. I think another really big topic is just the shifting role of the CFO. You know, it's been something I feel like people have been talking about for maybe the greater part of a decade at this point about how it's becoming more analytical and less number crunchy and all that type of stuff. But in your eyes, in your experience, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen? in finance and in that CFO role specifically over your, you know, three decades in this field? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, it was, I think if you go back, and I think I got a glimpse of it when I got here to the March of Dimes. So, you know, it was a lot of staff doing a lot of, um, say, I would say not much value-added work, right? A lot of work that you could potentially automate, a lot of work that you could use systems to do, and not as much analysis. So I think... That's how it was, you know. Previously, um, it's gone a big trend to reduce the number of, I would say, just pure accounting staff and really make it more analytical. And the notion of this whole FP&A really taking the forefront, and that's really what I've seen this change as: uh, doing more analysis, looking at more, you know, more, more of the data. Everybody's data driven now, talking about big data, and and what we do with it and how it helps drive the company is something that we've done and I think a lot of the for-profit nonprofits have done. Yeah, you talked about how a lot of that kind of transactional work can be automated now, right? There's technology now that maybe wasn't there a couple decades ago that, that can automate some of that work. So as finance professionals try to think about what skills should I be building, what should I be focusing on to make sure I you know, have a, have a career moving forward, what would you encourage them to, to look into or any types of training or expertise that they should be, be adding, not only as a CFO, but anyone in the, yeah, the finance I, I mean, function? I, think, I mean, obviously, it's, I mean, from a financial standpoint, it's, it's the things that I think people like more, which is the analytic piece of it and really helping to drive business decisions rather than doing some of the transactional work. So I think that's a good piece of it. Uh, that, so that would be some advice that I would give. I think the other thing is um, uh, is really to try to learn the business from the ground up. I think one of the things um, that, you know, it's hard for a finance, sometimes finance is often, you know, I'd say a closet and they're trying to, they're crunching their numbers or accountings and they, and they really need to be out there looking and seeing how the business operates so they can help them, under, so they can understand the business and help them really get, make good business decisions from that perspective. And kind of a, along those lines, do you think as they develop more of those skills, understand the business from maybe a bigger picture view like you were describing, do you think that finance people and CFOs have kind of more power when they do that? And in general, do you think like their opinions are more valued than they were in the past? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I, I don't know that it is because I think that, that CFOs always had especially a lot of power because they, you know, they control the money. So I think I don't know if it's any different than today. Uh, they may have better um, data to show, I think, would be, the, would be the difference, right? They have better data. Maybe they can show to back up their opinions 
Uh, but at the end of the day, it's probably a lot of those things are, is a, was a CFO's call before, maybe it's the same today. And to kind of make you look into a crystal ball here a little bit, but but where do you see the CFO function going in the next five, 10 years? Do you think it's just going to continue to become more analytical? I think so. I think there's obviously a big move to um, artificial intelligence. I think that's going to be, you know, I, I always joke with my staff that I was going to replace them with robots. Uh, and they got me a robot for Christmas last year. But I mean, it's those type of things where I think that's, that's you know, it's, it's going to move in that direction. I think, you know, cryptocurrency and things like that. I think just staying current with, with the trends is always important for a CFO to have their, their finger on. And really, the economy and, you know, where that's going to go. Um, you know, you talk about inflation or interest rates. I think people, we have to kind of be ahead of that and understand how that might impact your business. So just thinking about those type of, you know, external factors as macroeconomic factors uh, and what, would it, what that would do, I think is important as well. Yeah, definitely a challenge to stay on top of all that, but it's, it's still important, right? The, our jobs don't get easier. They, they mostly get harder. And just to, to close here, Dave, one last question for you. If you had to give one piece of advice to CFOs specifically or aspiring CFOs, yeah. what, what do you think that would be? Well, I think I said, it, I think there's two things. One is you get to know the business well, right? And get out there and see people and talk to people and understand the inner workings. Um, I think that's an important thing. I think the other thing that maybe people don't realize right away is that finance is really um, a customer service function. Like you're working for people in the company and you're trying to provide them good information and help them make good decisions. And so it's, you're, really, you're really at their beck and call to help them understand their business and, and, you know, and really just be a good partner with them. And I think that's one of the things that not all finance people are. I've seen over the years, um, especially when I was working in you know accounting or consulting, is that sometimes they want to just dictate things. And I think it's more of a, it's like I said, more of a customer service. And you have to think about that. And I always try to talk to my staff about being customer service focused rather than saying no. That's really figure out ways that we can work with people. Yeah, I think that's some some great closing advice. Well, I think that'll do it, Dave. Thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed sitting down with you and, and hope you have a great sweet world. Okay, thank you. Thank you to Dave DeMond from March of Dimes for joining us and to Ian McHugh for hosting this episode. I also want to shout out to our editing crew over at Lampstand and OKC and of course, all of you for tuning in. As always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you want to learn more about how NetSuite works with nonprofit organizations all over the world, check out the link in the description of this episode. Bye. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.